You know, we're beginning a new year, and I've just got to say right up front this. Guys from Teen Challenge, thank you all for being here. We had a contest this morning against you and the church. You'd have won already. You were here early, you were smiling, you were happy, and you're, you're in mass, and I'm so thankful to have you here. They're going to be here with us next Sunday also, and we're going to have the privilege to provide a meal for them. Uh, back some years ago, y'all don't know this, but we used to have uh, a Christmas party for Teen Challenge. Every Christmas, we did that for, I think, four or five years, and absolutely loved that. Loved it. And uh, so many of our members just absolutely, that was, that was the, 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 the center of their Christmas. And Laurie, I remember your mama came over one time we had the party, and she had presents and things for each one of them. And she walked up there, and there's one little boy, she put her arm around him, she says, I'm taking him home. And I said, Elizabeth, you can't do that. He's got to go back. But we love y'all. We love what, what you do there. The work that's going on there is of God. Don't ever, ever forget that. Because you're going through a situation in life, we all go through that, where we make that turn closer to Christ. And they're making that turn a little more quickly than some of us do, so pray for them. Because it's a busy year, isn't it? Very busy year, but it's a great year. We're going to look today at Jesus, and especially what Mark says about him, and understand a little bit about the power of perseverance, because I want to remind you that Jesus went through many struggles. As much as he was fully God, he was also fully man. He got tired. Uh, he got frustrated. Uh, he got sidetracked. People had a way of doing that. He didn't like crowds. I don't like crowds. He liked to be alone, although he was always with people everywhere. And we're kind of like that. You know, the Christmas season's been a busy one, hasn't it? Uh, a lot of gatherings and goings on, but sometimes we just need to get alone and be with our God. And I want to talk today a little bit about how Jesus was able to persevere during some very turbulent times in his life. I was writing a little essay for a friend of mine about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And sometimes we sideline her and ignore her a little bit because we say, well, she's not divine, but... She had more faith than many of us. Her life began in a struggle when she was very young. I mean, imagine what she went through encountering an angel and hearing that she as a virgin was pregnant and that God was in the middle of this and something was happening that had never happened before and she had to have the faith to trust. She was one that was looked at and sneered upon by some people that thought they were a little better than everybody else. They probably ridiculed her, but she loved Jesus. Remember, early in his life, they had to run. They had to go to Egypt to get away from, from what would surely be his death in his homeland. And then she had to watch him be ridiculed at his middle age and beaten and crucified. But she never left him, and she never looked away. And I think about her perseverance and her strength, and how she stood strong. So I want to think today a little bit about that. Most of you know that I'm a twin, and uh, my mother was a twin, my grandmother was a twin, I've got a set of twin sisters, I've got four sets of uncles and aunts that are twins, 27 sets of twins in three generations of my family. Thank goodness none of my children were twins, because I understand twins. I saw a set of twins one day at the mall, and they were walking along. They were identical twins, and one had on a T-shirt that said, I was planned, and the other said, I was a surprise. 
And I actually wanted to ask them, how did you know who was planned and who was the surprise? Here's the truth. Now, I've been around a lot of twins, and I, I was in the twin study back in the 70s at Emory University that was done by the National Institute of Health. And here's the one thing I've learned about twins. Twins are all surprises, always. If you've never had a set of twins in your family, you don't know that. Mr. Bennett knows it well. Twins are just different. They have a different relationship because really twins are two that, you know, one that was two. And we have a relationship that's unusual. My brother to this day, we're 63 years old and you couldn't spot us in a crowd. But a friend of mine three months ago in Savannah, Georgia, in the middle of the night, walking down the sidewalk, heard a voice. And he turned around and he said, you sound like Dr. Light. And he said, well, I ought to. I'm his twin brother. And they called me, and I, I couldn't believe that. Out of all the tens of thousands of people in Savannah that weekend, he met my brother. Twins are that way. My brother will call me, and I'll call him at the same time, and the phone will ring busy, and we know to wait a while and call back. We think about the same things. We do the same things. But, but twins are unique, and we know this about twins. Twins are not a random situation. God plans twins and he plans everybody. Now, the world would tell you that things happen randomly and, and, and that nothing's really planned, but no, God has a plan and a purpose for us, all of us. You say, well, my life seems so random and I have so many problems and everything's going wrong. No, 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 please. Read your Bible. Find out how important you really are. Things happen on the, new, the front page of the newspaper or, or on the internet and, and, and they're scandalous and they're what everybody's talking about for a few days and then boom, they're over with. As much as we've all been shocked at the fact that Betty White died just a few days short of her 100th birthday, a few months from now there will be people that will say, Betty who? I don't remember her. I thought she was already dead. That news will come and go, and, and, and those kind of things are random, and it happens that way. But the reality is God planned you for a reason. And he has a purpose for you. And no one can fulfill your purpose but you. And that is so important to understand. Some people seek for purpose. They feel that life has no purpose, and they're looking for some altruistic or important cause to go after. Some, some of them want to save the whales. Some of them want to save the snails or the lobsters or they want to do away with trash or they want to do away with hunger or poverty or, or, or they want to you know, get rid of straws or microwaves or, or plastic bottles. People find all sorts of causes to fight for. But the reality is you already have a purpose. You don't have to choose one. Your purpose is to glorify God. And to fulfill your destiny in life. You have a purpose and you have a reason for being here. And God loves you and made you for a reason. And out of all the billions of people that will ever live, you are the only person that can find your destiny's direction through the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you. I can't come up and tell you exactly what God wants you to do. You've got to find that out on your own. And it comes in a relationship with Him. So many people spend their life searching for that purpose, trying to find a reason for being and a reason for fulfilling their destiny, and they don't know how to do that. For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how we can fulfill our purpose, but also how we can keep from being bogged down and lose direction in where we're going. 
Because sometimes the thing that we lack is perseverance. Are you one of those people that has great plans but never finishes them? A lot of us do that in life. We, we know where we're going and we're absolutely sure and then suddenly we get sidelined. That happens all the time. But I want to think about that and, and consider how we can persevere to fulfill our destiny in Christ. Because the honest truth is, you'll never be joyful. You'll never be happy. You'll never have the purpose you want to have. You'll never have the fulfillment that you can only have when you fulfill your purpose in life. I want to look at several things this morning. The first thing I want to think about is this. Your motivation determines your determination. What is motivating you to do what you want to do? Some people try to make their family happy. They have a parent that's, that's pushing them to, to be something, and, and parents do that for a lot of reasons. Sometimes parents have unfulfilled expectations in their own life, and they're trying to live vicariously through their children. I, I don't recommend that because you've had your shot at life. Give your child their shot because they have dreams and desires that they need to fulfill. And living for somebody else or trying to fulfill somebody else's dreams is never going to work. They have got to find what God will have for them to do. I've told you all before that I had a, a young man who at the age of 18 as a junior, um, just, 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 I mean rather freshman, starting out at Georgia Tech, came to me one Saturday evening and said, Preacher, I feel like God's calling me to preach. And I said, well, let's talk about it. And we talked and we prayed. And, and a couple of Sundays later, he comes forward in church and gives his, gives his future to Jesus to become a full-time minister. Down the aisle comes the angriest mother I've ever seen, his mom. She was very upset because her dream was for her son to be an engineer just like his father and his grandfather. And she said, look right at me, and she said, preacher, God should have told me what he should have been. And I said, it doesn't work that way. I said, your son came to know Jesus at age seven. And he's been walking with Jesus for a long time, faithfully. And God's not going to warn me or you or anybody else. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. Well, by the way, he was a smart young man. You know what he did? He finished at Georgia Tech. Then he went to seminary, and now he's a, a director of students at one of the largest churches in Atlanta. And I'm so proud of him. But we've got to understand that God has a way of speaking to us. I can give you advice about the future, but my advice is no better than the Holy Spirit directing you. You need to let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you. Your motivation defines your determination. And I may tell you something, or your mom may tell you something, or your guidance counselor at school may tell you something, but that's not going to have the strength that the Holy Spirit of God guiding you will have. You need the determination to stick with where you're going. They say that the average student changes their major six times in college. Now, not speaking as a former student, but speaking as a parent, that's expensive. That is very expensive. But then again, I've told a lot of young people, who of us know at 18 what we want to spend the rest of our lives doing? We don't, but God does. That's why it's very important that that young person not only prepare for college by studying 
and getting ready, but also you need to prepare by simply seeking out God's direction for you. You need to allow Him to intervene in your life and give you a guidance that only He can give you. It's important to do that. It's wise to do that. It's the only way to proceed forward. Now, I want to read a passage of Scripture to you because I think about this so often. Jesus said the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They're going to kill him, and three days later he'll rise again. And he's throwing all this out to the disciples, and they're like, what is he talking about? Now, they use logic in a very simplistic way, but they never fully understood that Jesus was God until after the resurrection. I think the only disciple that really understood who Jesus really was was John because he was there and he understood. But some of us proceed forward and we treat Jesus sort of like he's our best friend or somebody that could give us advice that we take when it was convenient or necessary or when we were stressed. But I want to tell you something. That's not who Jesus is. He is the one that loves you more than anyone. He wants you to succeed, and He wants you to move forward. He wants you to do well, and He wants you not to fail along the way. You don't want to spend half your life starting over again. None of us want to do that. We can all start over. We can begin again, but we don't want to continue to do it over and over and over again. We've got to learn to listen to Christ and let Him guide us and know that what he's telling us is the only thing we can do wise. Secondly, I want you to think about this. You must eliminate any distractions in your pathway. Because it's easy to to get lost in following Christ by being distracted by the things that are around you. How do you deal with those hindrances? Jesus had them. People were constantly coming up. And his job was not to stand there and to be a salesman. He was not giving away uh, healing to everybody. Remember what he told the disciples? He He says, I'm here to reach out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He wasn't there to, to, to heal every person that was there. No, he came to die to heal us. Remember the blind man that was healed of his blindness eventually went blind later on. Lazarus, his best friend who died and he raised him from the dead, he eventually died. Those healings were not permanent and they weren't perfect. They were for a purpose. They were to draw people to him so they could hear the truth that he was the Savior. The Messiah had arrived. But we know, as Scripture tells us, he came into his own and his own received him not. They didn't hear that message. They got caught up in, in, in the, 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 the circumstance of the healing and the, and the miracles. and Who wouldn't? But in the midst of that, they did not see him as a miracle worker. They didn't understand who he really was. He was just one more person among many that they'd seen. And they didn't understand that what they needed was a relationship with him that was personal and that was permanent. You know, it, it, it's unusual in this passage, and we don't often think about this, but in, in the midst of, of, of what was going on, one group knew who he was. You remember who it was? The demons. They knew. They understood who he was. The people didn't. And that's so tragic. 
Remember when he approaches the, the demon that's in the tombs that's cutting himself and they can't even restrain him and he's tearing chains and everything and he walks up to him and he says, what is your name? And he says, my name is Legion, which means a thousand, for we are many. And he said, hast thou Jesus the Christ come to torment us before the time? <laughs> he even knew that he'd come to judge. And yet the wisest spiritual leaders in Israel were totally blind to that. Sometimes we can be totally blind to what God wants to do in our heart and in our life. Sometimes we don't hear what he's saying to us. You know, Mark makes the picture of Jesus running from the crowds, and he did. Because he wasn't a crowd pleaser. He wasn't there to make them happy. He was there for a purpose. One of my favorite books of all time was written by C.S. Lewis. He wrote it back in 1942. It's called The Screwtape Letters. And it's an imaginary visit to the underworld and a conversation between two demons. It's a collective correspondence between them, between an uncle and a nephew who are both demons. And the nephew is trying to persuade what they call a patient to give up on his ponderings toward Christ and say, look, don't go in that direction. And in the conversation there, uh, he tells him, he says, your man has been accustomed ever since he was a boy to having a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about together in his head. By the very act of arguing, you awake the patient's reasoning. And the uncle is telling the nephew, don't argue with him. Distract him. If you argue with him, he'll go deeper into his studies and he'll find the truth. Distract him. Tell him, I think that's a good idea to look at and I think you're on the right track. But you know, you're a good person. You don't need to worry about that right now. Remember that time you were under conviction? Whether you were in church or you were listening to a broadcast or reading a book? And then a distraction pulled you away from responding to that? That happens. It happened to me when I was young. The reality is Satan is very attentive to those who are listening to the cause and the call of Christ. And he wants to distract us. Jesus understood those distractions. Remember when Jesus came out of the wilderness and he had fasted for 40 days, who did he encounter but, but Satan himself? And Satan tempted him to go away from what his father had called him to do. It's so easy to do that, to be tempted to walk away from what we're supposed to do and to not fulfill it. But lastly, I want you to think about this. Are we willing to live in such a way that we understand that we don't have forever to fulfill our destiny? Time's running out. Every minute that passes by is one less minute, and we don't know how long we have to live. But it's important for us to be obedient and to be vigilant in what we do. I've had people say, oh, I'm not worried about that. I'll make that decision later. Every day you wait, you're losing a day of opportunities to serve Christ. You know, it's unusual that when Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, and remember, John Mark was a young man when he met 
the apostle Simon Peter. And Simon Peter told him these stories. But when John Mark writes, he uses one word over and over. In fact, he uses it 40 times between the Gospel of Mark and the book of Acts. In fact, in the, in the first chapter of the book of Mark, he uses the word 11 times, and the word is immediately. Immediately. Post-haste, if you want to translate it literally. He, he talks about what's being done by Jesus, and he says, immediately. He does this, and immediately he does that. He shows the concern that Jesus had for those round about him. He understood that his time was limited. He understood that in three and a half years, he would fulfill his entire ministry, and he would die. He understood the importance of being after those who were there. He understood the focus of what he was doing. I think so often in our lives, we forget about that. We let time go by leisurely and we forget about the calling of Christ that's upon us, the service that we're called to do. You cannot in the last 15 minutes of life fulfill your life's destiny. You've got to do it now. You've got to speak truth. You've got to echo purpose. And you've got to let people know the time is short by the way you behave and the way you function. People look at a lot of markers in life that they follow after. Some markers are important. Some are insignificant. A lot of people just want to retire. And I'm amazed at the people that retire and then suddenly go back to work again because they found that they've lost a big portion of their purpose in life. What has God called you to do? What has He called you toward specifically that nobody else knows but you? What does he expect of you right now? Some people celebrate Christ and his love for them, and they stand just inside the door of salvation, and they never proceed beyond that. They play around and they pretend through their life about how much he loves them, yet they never get to the point of saying, What does he expect of me? What am I doing for him? What will I fulfill in my life? Some people stand just inside the door of salvation and struggle with sin all their life. And it's usually the same sin, a pet sin that, that, that Satan has attached to them. And they play with it. They go back and forth between obedience and abstinence with the Lord and go back to that sin and practice it again. Back and forth, back and forth. I believe it was Mark Twain one time that somebody was talking about stopping smoking and he said, oh, that's easy. I've stopped smoking many times. I stopped four times last week. You know, that's the way we are many times with our sins. We'll stop and then we'll start again. And then we'll stop and then we'll start again. When we do that, according to the Apostle Paul, you know what we're saying? We're saying that God is powerless in helping us to overcome our temptation. And we're allowing the temptation to become stronger. Do more than step inside the door. Move beyond that. If it requires praying all night, and crying all night, and sweating all night, and, and, and making a determination, I will not let go of this. You know, we look at the life of Jacob as the grandson of Abraham and the son of Isaac. 
And he was a very failed person. He was not a good brother. He was not a good son. He certainly wasn't a very good father. And he was a terrible grandfather. But in his old age, he learned some lessons that changed him. And one of them happened one night when he was wrestling with an angel. The angel encountered him in the middle of nowhere. And it was just Jacob and the angel. And they wrestled all night long. And in the midst of it, Jacob understood that this wrestling match was not about who survived or lived. He knew he was not going to die. It was about where he would go in the future and what he would be. And it captured him in such a powerful way. He said, I will not let go of you until you bless me. Because angels could do that. They were messengers of God and they could bring blessing as well as information or announcements. And he wrestled and the angel pulled his leg out of socket. I'll tell you what happened. He limped the rest of his life. But what the angel did was this. He gave him a blessing beyond any. He gave him a mark. And he said, I'm going to give you something you've never had. I'm giving you a new name. He said, your name henceforth from this point forward shall be Israel, not Jacob. Now here's what he did. Jacob had ruined his name. It meant supplanter, trickster, or you know, conniver, or deceiver. It was not a good name anymore. People didn't trust him. But God loved him so much that that angel gave him a blessing. He changed his name. He said, from this point forward, be different. Be an example. Don't try to connive your way through life. Don't try to be cunning and, and, and outdo other people. Be holy as I am holy. And from that point forward till he died, that old man limped around and he told the story of God, pure and straight. The last accounting we have of him telling that story was to the Pharaoh of Egypt. And he spoke plainly to him about truth and honesty. He doesn't sound like the man that started out. But then again, he encountered God and it changed him. What purpose are you fighting for? What are you tenacious about? What are you going after? Only you know. But I encourage you to with all your heart and all your soul, find the Lord and don't let go until He blesses you. Let us pray. Father, I ask that You would simply speak to us now. For we seek Your guidance. We seek Your Word. We seek Your hope. And we seek Your truth. For without it, we're lost. Father, I pray that if there's someone here within the sound of my voice, that they're struggling with life, that they've not found the answers they've been seeking, yet they've been seeking in the wrong place. I pray that this would be a day that they'd come to you and they'd find truth and they'd embrace it and hold on to it. I pray that they'd persevere and not give up, for in this world it's easy to give up. Father, guide someone today that as the first notes of the instruments play and we begin to sing the invitation hymn, I pray that someone would make a decision 
to continue to follow you and to take that turn that's so necessary when we embrace your truth. And we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.